Well, would you look at that? It's another episode of the Encore Podcast, and they said it wouldn't last. Well, I'm happy to say that they were wrong, <laughs> because here we are again. I'm Chris McCoy. She is Gabby. Hey, Gab, what's going on uh, in New York City these days? Um, a lot is going on in New York City these days. I think that the pandemic made my future schedule busier than I thought it was going to. We had a lot of uh, canceled events in 2020, and now they seem to be catching up with a fury. Um, I feel the most popular I've ever felt in my life with how much (laughs) is going on at the moment. Well, considering, you know, you're in your late 20s, you must have a lot of friends who have postponed weddings and now they're playing catch up. Is that right? Yep. And a lot of people are getting engaged too. So there's engagement parties, showers, you know, bachelorette parties and the weddings themselves that are going on right now. And it's great because I'm, I'm really happy to celebrate everybody, but I don't think I was prepared for the sheer amount of weddings that was and wedding related activities that were going to be going on. Not to mention the expense. I mean, weddings are, are, are beautiful things and it's always good to go celebrate with family, friends, whatever, but still, man, it costs a lot of money uh, for weddings. And then when you have like a whole string of them lined up over a few months, you know, there goes some of that uh, extra cash that you had lying around. Yep, absolutely. And I had a friend say to me the other day that he and his girlfriend are going to have a wedding once a month between April to October of next year, which is just (laughs) crazy. (laughs) Boy, that is, that's so... I, you know, I don't have any weddings on my schedule. So if you'd like uh, Aunt Roberta and I to uh, sit in for you guys, uh, <laughs> obviously that won't work. I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, you know, speaking of getting together, uh, you arranged uh, what could be, and it sounds like it's going to be our first annual family Phillies game uh, since the family is here in the Philadelphia area. That was very kind of you to do that. You got us all. How many tickets, by the way, did you purchase for us? Uh, It ended up being 27 and that wasn't even including all the kids that were there. Um, So we got a big clan. Yeah, we had a great time. It was last Saturday night. And not only did I think a big reason why we enjoyed it, aside from all of us being together and we tailgated uh, a couple of hours before the game, lots of good food and and drink and stuff like that. But uh, the Phillies won the game, too. And they're on a real tear right now. And I say that because you know how I feel about this team. You know, they can take you way up there and you're feeling absolutely at baseball ecstasy and then they'll lose the next six games. You know, they look terrible at the plate and it's just so frustrating. <laughs> By the way, did you happen to see Pete Rose was at the uh, they honored the 1980 World Series team uh, at Citizens Bank Park on Sunday? And Pete Rose was invited. And a lot of people don't think Pete Rose should get anywhere near baseball. You know, he should never get anywhere near a microphone because he, I don't know whether you saw it, but during the game, they interview, they have, they had some of the guys from the 1980 team come in and they talked to them while the game was going on. Pete Rose was one of them and he didn't drop the F bomb, but every other bomb was dropped by Pete Rose. He is just such I'm sorry, terrible human being. What a great baseball player. But that's the only thing I could say about him. I mean, you said he shouldn't be anywhere near a microphone. I think he shouldn't be anywhere near an underage girl. Well, that too. Yeah, that. So. he's 81 now. I'm, I'm sure he's slowed down. Well, I shouldn't say, say that. I don't know whether he has slowed down or not. Keep him away from microphones and uh, young uh, girls. 
All right. So anyway, yeah, let's do that again next year. I'm talking about the family getting together for another baseball game. That was really a lot of fun. And thanks to you, Gabby, for putting that together for all of us. Now, uh, your father was there, my brother at the game, and we were talking and we talked about the uh, episode that we did a couple of weeks ago where John and I uh, discussed music and our favorite bands and favorite albums from bands. And we enjoyed doing that so much that we thought we would do it again with a different guest. So we're going to go out to California for this one and grab Brian Lopez. And we'll talk a little music. No, heck, we'll talk a lot of music coming up next on the Encore Podcast. Well, you know, Gabby, uh, aside from talking to people that we find interesting, we also like to talk music on this podcast. And when we get to chat with somebody who we consider to be interesting and chat with them about music, boy, that is just like two worlds colliding, but in a good way. That is just money, as that spiky-haired guy on the Food Network would say. (laughs) So that's why we asked Brian Lopez once again to join us on the Encore podcast this week to talk a little music. Hello there, Brian Lopez. Good day. It's a pleasure to be here. It is. Let me just tell you why Brian is here to do this. And it's kind of like giving you his bona fides as far as this goes. Brian is a guy that uh, I met about five years ago when he hired me out at his classic rock station, KSEG 96.9 The Eagle in Sacramento, California. And I came to know Brian as someone who is very, very passionate about music. And it's a good thing because that was kind of like what he did out there in Sacramento at the Eagle. The man programmed that extremely successful radio station for so many years. No longer in the radio business, Brian has escaped. He achieved escape <laughs> velocity a little about a little over a year ago <laughs> and now is gainfully employed in the total another sector entirely we don't have to get into that right now although someday i think we will brian sure hey whatever you need you know i there's something about music that just brings us all together and we're all experts and in terms of opinions and and uh, i don't know about you i'm just inspired to to listen and explore all the stories behind it and thank you for having me on oh our pleasure brian and i were talking uh, earlier this week uh texting back and forth and what what is it about music that we want to talk about in this particular episode? And Brian actually came up with some great suggestions, and we're going to deal with at least three of them, maybe even more, depending on how much time we have and how much uh, patience Gabby has. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things, and I'd like to start with this, Brian, because I think that this is a really interesting question for a lot of people. And for most people, it will depend, I think, on when they were born and when they started listening to music. And there's a lot of different factors involved, in my opinion. That would be, what do you think was the greatest decade for music? We have so many to choose from. And Brian, you know, you can go back to the late 1800s if you want. If you thought like 1880 stuff was good back, you know, or even farther back into the gold rush period where you (laughs) are. (laughs) hey you you know we just a a bit about that but what was it around 1790 when you had Beethoven and Mozart working at the same time Mm. I I, you know you think about their impact I would almost put that as the third most important decade because they were essentially writing movie scores 
without the video. So you listen to these pieces for 40, 60 minutes, whatever, and you're filling all the emotions of a movie just by listening to these compositions that, you know, they didn't live that long. So they put they put them together in a relatively short period of time. And yeah, it's just a couple of them. But look at their impact now, hundreds of years later. No doubt about that. Absolutely. By the way, do you have a favorite classical composer? I'm sorry that I don't know enough there, uh, just enough to be dangerous. I know the names. And when you hear the songs, I could I could go, yep, that's one of them. But yeah. beyond that, I'm sorry, I'm not that sophisticated. That's okay. We're going we're to deal with stuff that's a little more contemporary anyway. But I, total, <laughs> I totally get the references there that, yes, you know, for, for a guy like me, I would say that you know, all music, you know, stems from the Beatles. It all grew out of the Beatles. But no, that's not quite the way it is. That's just the way, you know, my little shrunken down brain uh, would think about my own experiences. So, Brian, you must have given this some thought since you came up with this particular idea. What do you think is the greatest decade for music, in your opinion? Well, for me, uh, you know, you touched on the Beatles, and I think it's you you have to go through that. I think the 60s to me are the the second greatest decade because they shaped the music for generations to come. All of, like you said, all of the influences that came out of there really took music in all of the directions that the 60s artists pioneered or or borrowed. I think. It was all about discovery, and they they gleefully shared these different sectors of music from the blues and the Motown, doo-wop, the world influences. And I think the Beatles are the figurehead of that decade because they did all of that, <laughs> like somehow in their short recording time, which was all within that decade, they explored so many different styles and evolved themselves, much like music did in general. But what I'd say is the sound quality suffered. It doesn't hold up the same way. The master tapes just weren't as good. It wasn't that the compositions weren't great, but they sound really dated because of that, the, the production material. And it didn't fully break out of the standard song mold. I think that there were some bands that tried a four or five minute song, but most of the time you're looking at 225 and you had to get everything in, in the same format. So for me, I would put the 1970s as the number one decade because they expanded on the 60s creative explosion. They added the additional technical evolution. Um, you can see the direct lineage of like the harmonies of a CSN into the Eagles, the top selling band in America of all time. You can see Dylan, because you know, Bruce Springsteen improved upon the concept and that storytelling, the birds to Tom Petty and the stones to the stones. I mean, you could <laughs> you can make a lot of cases that that what those 60 band, 60s bands did allowed the 70s bands to really take off. Two things that uh, that struck me about some of what you just said. First of all, the get it all done in two and a half minutes was more to get it played on radio, right? I mean, didn't radio kind of dictate back then how long the song should be? Well, I think you're right there. And that's also part of the, uh, the learning or excuse me, the listening experience that improved in the 70s was the home listening experience that instead of that tinny you know, you put your ear up so you can really hear it, um, transistor radio. Now you had full-on setups and the warmth of bigger speakers. You had the evolution from the vinyl to the cassette, too. Um, so I think that there was th some things going on in that era that made for a better experience, including the, the performances themselves. I don't know that, like you, Brian, that I would deduct points 
because the technology was not quite there yet back when the Beatles were first coming on. I think about the music itself. Sure, it would sound better if I could hear all of it. Almost like how some people prefer vinyl to, you know, music that was recorded on CD, sure. you know, originally all of that. A lot of people just think that 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 it has a warmer sound. For me, it's just all the pops and clicks that I remember from my youth when listening to uh, to vinyl. And then again, with the record skipping, I mean, I remember the, the Rolling Stones album, which you can't always get what you want on it. My album used to skip at the very end where the choir is in singing. Oh, yes. Ah, 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 it just kept going on and on. And if I was out of the room, <laughs> my dad would yell upstairs, Chris, Chris, what are you doing? Hit the needle, hit the needle. <laughs> and he wasn't suggesting I do drugs. He was. You know, <laughs> at least I don't think he was. Hmm. <laughs> he wanted to hear those stones. I'm impressed. <laughs> Continue on. You were, you, I think I may have interrupted a real good train of thought here. No, no. I, I think just to finish that, that one point that when you think about, uh, let, let's use a specific song, You Really Got Me, I think is a great example of 60s to 70s. And yeah. yes, the players evolved too. But what the Kinks did in 1966 with that song, beautiful, great composition, obviously a classic. And what Eddie Van Halen and the band did with that, when you hear the sonic difference in the performance of, of that. And that's a, what, 12 year difference. It wasn't that long, but I think it was a big gap in improvement. And also, by the way, a little sidebar here, that was the Kinks' first hit. And also it was Van Halen's first hit, wasn't it? I think you're right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. I think I learned that from you actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for you, it was the 70s. And it's mainly because the quality, uh, the technology improved over the previous decade. Yeah, I think it, you know, again, when you get into the opinion part, my favorite decade would be the, the late 70s into the 80s. It would be more like 75 to 85. But for the, the purpose of this game, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I'd have to say the 70s for all of the reasons we noted. And also because the 60s and 80s had a lot of things to overcome let's 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 be friendly and word it that way i'm not sure i i'm on board with that what, what what were the 80s overcoming well to me the 80s you know i think when you think of the 80s and what it's known for it's the big hair it's the the mtv generation it's more of the look than it is the sound um you had the wall of sound come into play there with the you know more of the synthesizers and the computer generated recordings it's dated in a different way than the 60s, but still dated. And it it's it has overcome it and worn better, I would say, in the last 10 years than it did in the prior 20. But it still has those demons that, to me, when you look at it as, as an overall decade, it wasn't great. It had its moments. I just had my 30-year-old daughter and her husband join us for dinner tonight. And I asked this question, you know, what's the greatest decade for music? And both of them picked the 80s. <laughs> little did they know, but you got to, I mean, you got to remember, you know, these are, well, these are kids that are just, a, I, I shouldn't say kids. These are adults that are just a little bit older than Gabby. Gabby, what would you say? What, what would your answer to that be? Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and be the third person to back up what they said. And I, I was going to go with the eighties. <laughs> Why? Just on a basic standpoint, I kind of feel like for me as a young person who wanted to understand 
past decades of music. I hate to refer to the 80s as like a gateway drug, but I feel like that was kind of the best way to go about it because I knew a lot of songs. I recognized a lot of songs just from contemporary radio from the 80s. And then once I started to look at some of the bands that played or like what was popular right before that, it's what brought me back further and further into the 70s and 60s. You know, I love the sound of the 80s because it was such a different sound than that sort of classic rock feeling that we're going towards, but it's not the same sound that you'll hear today on a lot of really popular records. All the music just makes me want to get up and dance. And Brian, I think that you made a great point when you were saying that the 80s started to incorporate the look as like, as well as the sound. It wasn't just that the sound was so important anymore, but I kind of like that because I think it was the emergence of the performer. And over the last 40 years, I would say that um, they were really sort of focused more on the performance and it's changed to today because I think that there's a lot of performers who are really, really strong musicians and really strong vocalists. And it's interesting to see how they incorporate performance as sort of the bilateral thing that they're doing. So they have their talent, they, they know their music, but then they take it to the next level by making it into a performance. Can, can you give me some examples of artists that you're talking about in this vein from the 80s? Um, yeah, what, well, it's funny because um, one of the recent ones that we were watching when we had music videos when I, we were hanging out with friends one night is um, the Eurythmics. The, the music video for uh, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This is just like not something that I was expecting when I watched it the first time, but it it is so burned into my memory now that like as soon as I hear the song I also think of that music video um it's kind of the same thing with like with ABBA as well um I they turned their songs into a jukebox musical so like Mamma Mia has been pretty prevalent especially for people my age we had a Broadway show plus two movies come out with like Meryl Streep in them so you know I saw them and I just had such a good time like listening to their music and thinking about like the way that they used to perform them and listening to their music in those movies made me want to go and look up the music videos and watch their music videos. And it, I know there's a whole other element with ABBA because they won Eurovision, which was, is just like a whole other thing that I honestly didn't even realize was still going on until earlier this year when the Ukraine winner was announced. Like I, I really thought that was something of the past. I didn't realize it was still happening, but, um, and, and, there's plenty more and I, I just can't think of them right now, but I know another one. Um, I, I believe dancing in the dark came out in the eighties, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah. So uh, that's another one where it's like, yeah. it was Courtney Cox. Well, how, about, how about purple rain? Now, you know, you talk about, I have a feeling that some of what's coloring this for you is the fact that you could not only hear the music, you could see it, you could see the performers and, you know, you talk about the performers coming into their own, you know, that was the decade of MTV. And that's when they used to play music videos. And I thought it was kind of cool, too, that you could actually see the performances. Would you agree with that? I do. I think the one of the modern examples I was sort of thinking of as far as performers who have come into their own and are more of a, a stronger version of what they were sort of going for in the 80s is um, like Beyonce. Lemonade had its own full movie basically that they played on HBO that had a lot of visuals that really added to the songs, but it's not stopped me from ever wanting to just play the album and listen to the music itself. So it kind of feels like you're getting a two for one. You're getting, um, you know, a story or getting a performance if you want to consume it by 
watching it and then you also have music that you enjoy and are listening to if you want to just put on the music and, and enjoy that. So this ABBA that you speak of, I want to Google them later. How do you spell it? It's A B. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but I've sat down to watch uh, what is it, Mama Me? Mama Me, yeah. <laughs> I was not alone. I was with Roberta. So, you know. Hey, it, it does have James Bond in it, though. So that made it okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like Brian, I would rather not have it be. A, a decade, a solid decade. I, you know, I was thinking, and mainly it's because this is when I came to appreciate music for the first time. It wasn't until the mid sixties, really, that I had an appreciation for it. So if I had my way, I would go from like 1966 to 1976, 77. That was a great stretch for music, in my opinion, particularly rock and roll. I mean, there was just, you know, that leaves out some of the earlier Beatles offerings, obviously, which I wouldn't prefer to do, but that was just such a great time. But I also feel like some of the 80s stuff was a lot, there was a lot of fun there. I think, Gabby, that you hit on it when you said that's when the performers really came into their own. There were more posers per square inch in the 80s on stages, I think, than <laughs> any other decade. You know, I, seriously, except for maybe Elton John comes to mind, but that was more of a 70s thing for him. I don't know. It's just the way I feel about it. If I could incorporate that along with some of the 80s stuff, pick and choose, like cherry pick, that's what I would say. I think what I liked most about the 80s are the artists that probably started in the late 70s with all of those influences we discussed in the 60s and 70s, and they carry it forward. So it really was stylistically similar. So Don Henley in the 80s, yes, was a little different than the Eagles, but he came from the 70s band of the Eagles. I, I, for me, that's the stuff that I gravitated toward in the 80s. John Mellencamp, U2 was probably the most alternative or progressive band that, that I would gravitate toward. But, you know, even they, I think, stylistically borrowed from the, the 70s artists, whereas the more dancey things like Durant Durand or uh, Depeche Mode in excess, when I think of the figureheads of the 80s, it's more of that. It's Michael Jackson, it's Whitney Houston, but it's also Bon Jovi and Def Leppard that took, like you said, you call it dancey, but it's beat. It's more beat driven. It's less lyrical substance and more easy access and easy entry into what they're, they're selling. When you're dancing, you really don't need lyrics unless you're slow dancing. And then the lyrics kind of, I think, are important because they're a big part of the emotion of all of that. Sure. But if you're out on the dance floor, I think the disco era really proved this point is that you really don't need lyrics to get people to get up and dance, right? <laughs> I mean, look at Rick James. I mean, Rick James had some great lyrics. <laughs> super freak. <laughs> <laughs> She's super freaky. You know, I mean, that, that, but I feel that, you know, it's really sort of reemerged again when like, which is the decade we haven't talked about in the 90s when like hip hop and R&B and rap sort of really found their foundation and took off. The lyrics of that was I would argue some of the most important parts of that. It sort of like took a break <laughs> in the 80s and like got some rest and then like came back in a full resurgence in the 90s. So 
I think I saw something online, a poll that was taken, and I don't remember that they broke it down into age groups, but the 90s won out big time as far as what was the de best decade for music. I guess people of a certain age would, would probably agree with that for the most part. Well, it certainly had a huge influence. You know, I think the whole grunge movement came out of that. Um, and then the pop 90s, I think, is also well regarded from that audience. I think that's where rock split that officially they got rocky in the 80s where you had the, the fans that, that would welcome someone like Prince or or uh, Duran Duran as quote unquote rock. But there were others who were like, nope, this is where I jump off. And I think the 90s was it. Like, we're totally done here. We're, we're going in separate direction. I wouldn't call it the younger generation, but those who are now approaching 40 or so that grew up with that 90s um, influence, I could definitely see how they would vote that as, as a, a paramount decade. You know, and I also think of when, when I think of the 90s, I think of an artist like Eminem, you know, who just seemed to really, really come into his own during that time period, particularly in, I guess, it, what would be the mid to, to late 90s, Marshall Mathers, you know, sure. outside of Eminem, I am just drawing a complete blank now to name someone else. Tupac, Dr. Dre. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say the seminal figures there. I mean, you could even throw in, uh, what, the Beastie Boys, uh, Run DMC. I know that they, they cross decades as well. But that style was just beginning. And yeah, I, I think that all of those play a factor in, in their popularity. All right. Before we leave question number one or discussion number one, anybody have anything further they'd like to add? I agree with all of us. <laughs> All right, let's move on to something that, now this could be a tough one here, a little tougher. The original version was Rock's Greatest Voices, but, it, you know, maybe we could like, you know, spread that out a little more and make it less specific about Rock. What? Oh, <laughs> let's call it Rock, okay? One of the first people that came to mind was Freddie Mercury. You know, I thought of Robert Plant, Roger Daltrey, Steve Perry. I'm going to throw Axl Rose in there too. Ann Wilson from Heart probably one of the best female rock singers ever born. Janis Joplin, you know, Stevie Nicks, uh, you know, Stevie Nicks is a, uh, for a lot of people, an acquired taste, I think, but not for me. I acquired that taste right away. The first time I heard her, <laughs> first time I heard her with Fleetwood Mac, that was it. I was in love. How about McCartney and Lennon? I've got to put those two guys in too. And they're so different in the same band. I think that that's part of what, what was their magic, too, that they could play off in different directions. I think John was always the harder rocker. He was always the guy that when he got done singing a song, especially in the early days and in the later days, too, you thought, my gosh, he's going to have laryngitis tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that man really goes for it. Brian, who would you say? Well, for me, I, here's how I tried to approach it is... Um, they have to be unique enough that everyone isn't just impersonating them or, or they're not all sounding the same, I should say. You have to be able to communicate a lot of different emotions because I think there's some great singers, but I can't hear in my head them ever doing a ballad or that ballad singer could never really do a screamer. Um, you got to be able to do it all. You got to make me cry or jump or feel happy or sad. Like, can you communicate those stories? And I think the key point is it's largely influenced by the songs they pick. Bon Scott never sang a ballad. Like ACDC didn't do that. Neither, you know. Can you done, imagine? <laughs> would you? I, mean, I was thinking about that. What if Bon Scott or Mick Jagger was singing Landslide? 
Jagger did do Angie. True. So I, that was kind of my criteria of trying to think of singers that can can somewhat do it all. But also, I'm going to acknowledge some specialists. So outside of my top 10, I did have Ann Wilson. And one, I have to hand you a Philly surprise here, because I think I think he would be a well-rounded, great rock singer if Daryl Hall would do it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because if you can go from Sarah's smile to kisses on my list, I mean, that's an example of a couple of different emotions. But I think that if, if you handed him start me up, I think he'd nail it. So anyways, at number 10, I have Jackson Brown. I think that his voice was totally technically a pure tone, but it, it did fit the more pop rock side and style better, I think. So he's not necessarily a great rock, well-rounded singer. My number nine guy, I love Glenn Fry. I think most people would say Don Henley from the Eagles, but to me, he was the genius that could coordinate the voices and where everybody fit. And I liked his style when he was the lead singer for his solo material or, or the band. You could hear his locality. Like he had a different style to the way he said or, or sung the words that I appreciated. It wasn't so out there that you knew that that guy was from England or in his case from, from uh, Detroit or living in LA. But it was that blending of the two that I appreciated. Bono, I think, as a rock singer and his command of swagger, I'd put him at the top of the swagger list. Like he, he's got that. More soulful, bluesy, and that raspy sound, I'd go Paul Rogers. I think that from the way he, he led Bad Company and Free, um, you could hear him singing a lot of different rock. Mick Jagger, I think, is the figurehead of the idea of a rock singer. I think he does set the standard of what you should sound and look like. But again, I'm, I'm not all in on, on his ability to do it all. I think he does a, a fair job. But one that I think might have had the most natural gifts would be Roy Orbison. Oh. That guy. Could he sing Sweet Child of Mine? Yes, <laughs> I absolutely think he could. He could sing a Whitney Houston song. He could sing a Rolling Stones song. He could like, I just think that that's who he could have been. The Traveling Wilburys give you a little bit of a view of him doing something a little more rocky. I did have Stevie Nicks on the list, again, for uniqueness and the ability to be a lead or a backup. Number three, Paul McCartney. I think he gives you the example of being able to do it all from the long and winding road to... Uh, How do we do it in the road? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> My number two is probably one that no one else will have. Greg Allman, when he sang, you felt emotion. And that, that's what I'm asking for. Um, you could hear the sadness, the sorrow, the lament. You could hear him jump up in a rock song. You could hear him borrowing other people's words and you could hear his own. And I just felt that the stories he told, you always felt it. But my number one, Robert Plant is just so darn interesting in the way he chooses um, his, his style. When you hear his, his solo work on something like Ship of Fools, where there's an up and a down in his registers, to something like Since I've Been Loving You, which in a very slow Led Zeppelin blues song, he goes so many different places with his voice. To me, he's the undisputed guy. Wow. I didn't hear anything about TP. I thought maybe he would be maybe in the, somewhere in the Midland range there for you. I, I, th I thought he's got to make an appearance in a list <laughs> that comes from Brian. And Freddie Mercury didn't make your cut either. huh? He is an incredible talent. 
I, I don't know that he could sing other songs. He could sing Queen songs. And that, that was the hard part. Yes, I could put him on the list because he is absolutely supremely talented. But you ask him to sing a Rolling Stone song, it's kind of like what Paul Rogers became when he joined Queen. He, it, just, it didn't work. Hmm. Paul Rogers is this talented singer. He's one of the best. But he, he didn't even try to be Freddie Mercury, but that style didn't really work. And so that's why I left Freddie off the list is because I, I think he fits a certain style and not as well-rounded. Interesting. Gab, what do you think? I mean, I think some of the people you guys have named already is a pretty comprehensive list, but I did want to ask if you guys consider Alton John and Billy Joel to be rock musicians to, Absolutely. to go with your, your point of like, can they sing other songs? I was lucky enough to see them both in concert this year. Uh, more recently, I saw Billy Joel and he did a couple of uh, Pink Floyd songs like in his mm. set. And I was just so like. Billy Joel's a great mimic, though. I mean, he could. I mean, you know, you've heard him mimic the four seasons. He does the Beatles. He does McCartney really well. He's just one of those talented guys that can do different styles. I totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah. He did um, come together on the set. So he was so good. I. I actually had like a very brief moment where I was like, this is not, this is not a Billy Joel song, right? Because like <laughs> it sounded so like natural when he was doing it. Elton John was the same. That one was earlier this year. So I don't remember that concert as clearly, but just, I feel like he weaves in and out of this ability to like tell a story, both in a ballad and then like a quicker, like rocker, rockier song. So I think for me, like of all the people we've named, I definitely agree. But those two also I've noticed are great voices. And I was getting to see for the first time them doing songs that weren't their own, that they were like, man, I wish I had like written this, which is like one of the things that Billy Joel said when he got done doing one of the songs, I think it was one of the Pink Floyd songs. He was like, you know, it's not mine, but Jesus, I really effed up because like, I didn't, I didn't write this song myself. Someone beat me to it. Well, not not to uh, to divert too much from that. I will say that I saw Billy Joel in San Francisco maybe five years ago. Apparently what he was doing, he was doing this ballpark tour where he's going from one big city to the next and only doing the ballparks. He was pulling out songs that were created by bands in those towns. So in San Francisco, he did a Metallica, a Jefferson Airplane, Santana, CCR. In between each of his hits, he would do like 45 seconds of one of the local bands. It was so cool. He did Cashmere. He did Cashmere and he like, he did, he did Cashmere. Of, he did and he was into it. He was rocking. He was at the piano for most of the concert, but he was rocking when they were doing that one. So. I don't know that anyone whose not, name is not Robert Plant should be doing Cashmere, but I guess if someone's going to tackle it, it would be Billy Joel. Well, just to go back to a couple of the, the vocalists that I named, and, uh, and I know they're not very popular picks, like Janis Joplin, for example. Janis could do the blues like nobody's business, but she could also do a ballad that would, could just bring you to tears. You know, and I'm thinking of like Cry, Cry Baby. She was so talented and she burned out so quickly. I can just imagine if Janice was around today, I don't know how old would she be, like late 70s, maybe? Yes. What a body of music that woman would have done, I think. We were really robbed, unfortunately. And then the other guy, like the exact opposite of Janice, in my opinion, though, is someone like Steve Prairie, who could rock 
and really do a ballad really, really well. Steve Perry is probably one of the, the best known vocals, vocalists from the 70s and 80s. Absolutely. I, I, and I agree. I think partly because he's such a unique sound and you know, Journey has had several lead singers over the years. And I, I think that, that his style is what pushed them to the heights that they achieve. It wasn't just a songwriting, which he obviously brought that too. But that unique voice, it, 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 it happened for Genesis with Bill Collins becoming the leader. It, it just, it changed the whole trajectory of that band. And I think that I'm totally on board with Steve Perry too. I never got to see him live yet. Maybe he'll rejoin Journey. You think, really? Well, I'm, you know, never say never. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know he just put out a Christmas album last year. So I, I think that uh, that may preclude him from going back with Journey. I'm not sure. Jingle bells. I could hear. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Hey, I love Christmas music. Please don't get me wrong. It's just that I was never expecting Steve Perry to go that route. I just had one another di extreme disappointment in my young life. And that is James Taylor did an, an album of American standards, you know, and it was just like, I don't know that I want to hear this, this man who is an American treasure himself doing uh sunny side of the street. I just don't need that. Yes. <laughs> McCartney my... did the same thing. And I felt, yeah, you, yeah. you feel almost defeated for them. Like, oh, don't go there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see where other artists have done it. You know, Rod Stewart, fine. Knock yourself out. Go ahead. See if we care. Carly Simon, <laughs> you too. Okay, no problem. You want to make a few extra bucks. The well's dried up a little bit, but not James Taylor. No. No. I mean, who's next? Bob Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, would that be a treat. <laughs> All right. What do you think about whose music will still be heard in 100 years from now? Man, this this was the toughest topic for me. Um because of it's, it, you almost have to predict the future of how are artists going to achieve somewhat of a global consensus? Because, you know, earlier we talked about Beethoven and Mozart and geographically they weren't that far apart. And most of the population of the world was still centralized in one smaller area. And now you don't have that in the internet. I mean, we don't need to get into the reasons for it, but tastes are sh are shaped so differently and so to achieve something in 100 years that everyone's still going to be listening to is a really tall task to predict but the biggest head start on it is the obvious one the Beatles and I don't think that this is really a band question I think it's more of a song by song question but because the Beatles have stayed relevant for over 60 years and individually songs have also elevated and stayed relevant for 60 plus I think they've got far beyond the biggest head start because other bands like the Rolling Stones have been around as long as they have, but I don't think that they're carrying the same relevance with their specific songs. So the Stones might have a couple, maybe a Start Me Up, maybe a Satisfaction. But for me, I think what we're getting at is that the difference between carrying Beethoven and Mozart forward and what we have now is the vocalists that some of these songs are incredible compositions, but the voice themselves is what needs to carry it forward. Can you imagine Louis Armstrong's uh, Wonderful World being sung or, or famous by anyone else? It's like, that is so his. Hmm. And yes, it is still relevant. How, how old is that song? 60 plus years. 1968, I think, wasn't it? 
there we go. Okay, so we're we're fifty plus years. So yeah. yes, it's um to me it's going to be more like that, where it's it's a s single song or a small collection of songs from a, a certain point. So I would put things up there that oh, there are individual songs that that are often performed or carry a message to the current audience be beyond the nostalgia. So the the songs you know I'm going to put up there probably not a love shack. That is a shame. I can't <laughs> I can't imagine. A wedding reception a hundred years from now without uh, without Love Shack being played some point, some point. So I would nominate things with a, a little more um, heft to their their whole composition, with the lyrics and the music being super interesting. Like in your eyes, Peter Gabriel. Imagine John Lennon. Things like that. The, the vocalist matters, but maybe not as much. So that that more um, contemporary artists can can borrow these songs in seventy years. And people aren't going to go, ah, that's not Peter Gabriel. I don't think so. You know, but you can take that composition and move it forward because it, it's so moving. How about uh, from the Eagles? Do you see anything from the Eagles, either the voice of Don Henley or, as you mentioned, Glenn Fry being around in a century from now? Yeah. Hotel California. There's probably some others. Desperado comes to mind, even though it wasn't nearly as big of a hit, but in terms of a composition, um, that you could see play forward one of these nights. I, I wasn't prepared with the Eagles question. That's a really good one and, and super interesting because they're such an American, they have such an American identity, but that is a global band with, with relevance. One of the bands that came to mind for me, and I guess for a different reason, was the Beach When I think of the Beach Boys, I think of the Eagles in terms of the way the, the harmonies were incredible for both of those groups of people Several of the Beach Boys were related to each other, which some people say makes vocal harmonizing even more pleasant to the ear. None of the Eagles were related to each other, yet they were able to have that incredible harmony that I think took what was absolutely mind-blowing in the 60s with the Beach Boys and then just take it to the next level. No question. And, and I think even more remarkable with the Eagles with trading out band members and, and key members. It wasn't yeah. just one. I, you know, what did they go through? Three, three changes. But we talked about Glenn Fry earlier, and that's one of the reasons why I elevated him, because he could recognize where everybody fits. And those harmonies are so signature. And to your point about the Beach Boys, it doesn't matter if there's two of them. When when you get a couple of them singing background on anything, it's unmistakable for anyone who's not aware go back and listen to elton john's don't let the sun go down on me yes and you you when you listen to i think there's two beach boys on that it's it's like yep there they are that's beach boys there's no one else that can do that you're so on point there so gabby you're kind of the only one we haven't heard from yet on this particular question i think for me it's hard because some of the songs that i know now i will have my parents remarking oh god i remember when the song came out and I never thought that like my child who's nearing 30 would, would know this, you know, like in the future. But I think for me, like, I just think about the songs that I recognized, like as a kid that I didn't have exposure to other than just them being on the radio or, you know, in some other capacity like that one. But I'm kind of surprised you didn't say Tom Petty because I feel like American Girl is going to become the next Frank Sinatra's New York, New York, you know, like everyone knows it. Um, sure. And I know who sings it. So but I just, I feel like it's evolving to become, you know, like the next 
sort of song that we all know and we all know it's by Tom Petty and and it sort of leads you to be listening to these other things uh, like along with Tom Petty I also think won't back down I've I've read a lot of people online saying you know won't back down has gotten them through some some of the hardest times that they've ever gone through mm. I think Queen I think we're still gonna be listening to Queen in 100 years I it shocked me when I looked at a Spotify playlist of like, this is queen and how many songs I knew like on the playlist, just from never having sat down and listened to an album, like front to back with them. But I, I knew so much of their catalog and it surprised me because like at no point was I just like, Oh, I should listen to this because I listened to, we will rock you. So I should listen to like love of my life. Like it, it never really just like transpired that way. It was like all these different moments that sort of came together for me to realize that I, really knew an extensive amount about this catalog. So another band, by the way, with incredible harmonies, mm-hmm. really queen. Oh, great call. Many, queen. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Of the rock bands, I would have to say I, those two in particular uh, stick out to me aside from the obvious, which I mean, I think the Beatles were such a spectacle for so many reasons that they're going to end up being known for a long time because of the way they sort of took the world by storm. And then the way that they evolved over their uh, both group careers and then individual careers. No, and, and in full disclosure, I'm such a Tom Petty fan that playing by my own rules here of defining songs that that have to move forward in 100 years, meaning the nostalgia has to be gone in the fandom. I can't do that with Tom Petty. I can't remove that from my equation. I'm just too biased. But the I Won't Back Down is a great call. If you haven't seen the um, the, the stadium singing it at the Florida football games, you have to just look that up on YouTube and then you will understand why Gabby nominated that one. That, that's outstanding. Good job, Gab. I, I totally agree. Absolutely yeah. agree. Broken clocks, right? Twice a day, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're on point in, in uh, bringing uh, different perspectives because we all have, a, I think, a different bucket that we, we would call our favorites. And one that I think is is outside of all of ours that came to mind for me that I wanted to ask you two about is Frank Sinatra, that if, if it was 15 years ago, I would have said without a doubt that that is really wearing well. And there there's a sophistication to it and, and a wonder because he was in a class all by himself. He has his own style. It was big, big band sound. How does that play in 50 more years? Geez, I don't know. Personally, I think that, and I don't know if anyone else has this experience. Through my lifetime, I've had an appreciation for Frank Sinatra's music, and his phrasing is is unlike most other people, uh, most other artists. But I've also taken breaks from him, from time to time along the road, and then go back with to listen to Sinatra again, maybe five, ten years later, and it sounds brand new and fresh again to me. Mm-hmm. So I could, I mean. If I live to be another hundred years, which is possible, uh, you know, with modern science and medicine and all of that, uh, sure. if I remember to take my pills every morning, I would say that w- within that hundred year frame, I could probably go in and out of Sinatra. And I think he would still be there a hundred years from now. I could see that too. And then the other one that I struggled with was because if you forced and you said, okay, we have to pick somebody who is in the charts today. What, what song or which artist is delivering music that we're going to be listening to then? Yeah, you know what? I have a couple, but they're all, they're all different. I think the three people I have in mind are, have such strong music and they're, they are strong musicians, but I also think that they have el- other elements about them that will keep them in the conversation. Aside from that, 
for me, I think the three that come to mind are Kanye because his music is so well regarded. I mean, he, he is a spectacle as a person. He obviously has a lot of issues, personal issues that he needs to address and take care of. Um, that's made him, you know, not popular with the public, but I feel like you can't really have a conversation about Kanye without people being like, his music is amazing, but he is a person like, I don't really like him as a person. So then it becomes separating the art and the artist. Beyonce would be my second one. I think just, I think, especially her modern or her most recent music, I think is going to last a really long time. And I think that'll speak more to the culture at the time that she was making that music, which is why it will last much further into the future. The third one, I I can already feel my dad cringing when I say this, but uh, I think, I think Harry Styles is going to last a long time. And this one in particular, I think is interesting because I'm not thinking Harry Styles of One Direction. I'm thinking Harry Styles of his independent music. And that's because his last two albums, at least, have been very, very rock, like old sounding rock. And I read this really funny article when he was touring and he was at MSG and they were the reporter was like, you know, there's a group of guys here who are my dad's age. So I went up to them and I was like, what are you doing at a Harry Styles concert? And they were like, this kid rocks like this guy has the sound. And I just thought that that was so interesting. And I think that his broad appeal is what's going to keep him around for a long time because he sort of moved out of that phase of like the girls who were obsessed with One Direction into adults of all ages being like, I really like his sound. I really like the rock like element about him. I cannot speak to that at all. (laughs) (laughs) I have to admit, I am not that familiar with Harry Styles. One Direction, yeah, I knew a little bit about. I played their music on the radio. Uh, But Harry Styles, as of now, I think he's more of a fashionista than anything else these days. But hey, that's just me. And I'm not as familiar. So I should just shut up about Harry Styles. (laughs) Yeah, I think I can hear what you're describing with with his style, too, that you can see it playing if, if he continues to evolve the way you think he's going to. That's where I would put the two people I had in mind. So Taylor Swift would be one because of the sensibilities of writing a good pop song and communicating a message. And she's done it using very personal life stories. She stayed in one category a lot. It seems like it's all about relationships. So what does she do maybe from a social perspective? Like as as she ages, does she have a cause that she wants to start writing songs about? Like to me, that might be the deal breaker for both of these. Um, The other one actually has one song that I think might carry 100 years forward because as a composition, I would say it might be, is it a waltz? It's got a a, a pattern like that. Uh, Perfect by Ed Sheeran. And and I think his style lends itself to evolving into something. I don't know that either of them are there yet. I don't think anything that they've created is a slam dunk 100 years. We're going to be listening to those songs. But I think that they both have the potential. Can't let the whole discussion go without bringing up one person that we haven't talked about. And he's a neighbor to you guys. Bruce Springsteen qualifies for all of this. And I know you you brought up Dancing in the Dark at, at one point, but he's one of these people that is still relevant today, even though he's not on the charts. But because he sticks his foot into things that charges people, I, I would also nominate him in a very different way. You definitely hit the nail on the head with, Uh, the Bruce suggestion. And I want to agree with you and say Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran were my honorable mentions, but I I agree with you that I think that they are on a path to getting there, but maybe not have necessarily arrived to that full form just yet. But Bruce is interesting. I think he 
has good music. And I know a lot of people who would like take a bullet for Bruce Springsteen, which I find to be a little strange. Um, but, you know, if, if you like him that much, who am I to tell you you can't, you know? And I think one of the things that leads to his broad appeal is his music is definitely catchy, but he sings so much about the working class that he sort of has captured a spirit in the country, especially over the last like 30, 40 years that I think will be passed down. Are there artists you think that will that are strong now and seem to have staying power, but because of changing attitudes and mores in the country will fall so out of favor. And, you know, when you mentioned Bruce Springsteen, you know, he's, he's can, he can be polarizing. He's one of these artists that is not afraid to be political, which I think is very brave because, you know, if you start telling your politics from a stage, you're going to piss off maybe half of the people that are there in attendance and who have spent in Bruce's case, $5,000 for a ticket to your latest concert. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. I'm just wondering if there are artists like that now. I think Kanye is running into the Michael Jackson problem where if someone decides they can't separate the art from the artist, then Kanye is going to fall out of favor. And Kanye is a bit different than Michael Jackson, because I would say Michael Jackson's issues were more self-inflicted than Kanye's are. Kanye is diagnosed with illnesses that he's, you know, refusing help on, but could potentially seek help for in the future. Kanye's definitely, as a person, is definitely on the way out. Like I would say 10 years ago, he was the guy. And now there's other people who are moving into the spot to become the person. I think Kanye could still come back from that, to be honest. I think if he either pursued the help that he probably needs or left the limelight for a bit and just sort of put out his music, that that would change public perception a little bit. Yeah, I don't think that um, in, in today's climate and really in, in the climate of the last several years, if not the, the decade, that it's just not welcome. If you agree with the, the message, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be political, but when it's a big statement that is some, somewhat polarizing, the people that don't agree with it don't want any part of it. And I think that these artists run that risk anytime they choose to voice it. So it better be something really important and not just a fleeting comment because it can cost you everything. You know, I look at it the other way because I, I have more artists that, that I think will overcome it over time as it, it becomes less fresh. I, I would say Michael Jackson is, is the number one of that, that the further away from his life that his music gets, I think that it will have a revitalization of, of its popularity. I could see that. You brought up Taylor Swift. Talk about polarizing. She has pissed off everyone she's ever dated. <laughs> by writing a song about them. <laughs> now that may be only a dozen people. I don't know. But still, <laughs> you got to factor that in is all I'm saying. Well, and, she was willing to give up those sales. I think yeah. <laughs> they're not buying the albums. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly. I just want to say that uh, Brian, and I think you brought up a good point. It's not always the artist in their body of work, but song uh, in particular songs in particular. And I, and I think that Elton John is one of those artists that will be around 100 years from now because of some of his songs, not everything, but one of the, and I, you know, I got to go all the way back to your song, which I think will still be played somewhere 100 years from now. Billy Joel, Just the Way You Are, no mm -hmm. matter how you feel about that song, that's one of those songs that was 
beaten to death by commercial radio back in the day. But if if you were to hear that song now, you may have a fresh appreciation for it, particularly the lyrics. So I think that that's a song, too, from an artist who's going to have a huge body of work still around in, in 100 years. But that song in particular, I think, is one of those songs that will bring him there. Totally agree. And then there's there are going to be some of those goofy songs, too, that we just kind of chuckle about that will have legs is that, you know, you could throw it out there. It could be what does the fox say or it can be who let the dogs out? Uh, oh, who let the dogs out is a classic. <laughs> and it's classic because it's notably goofy. Like for yeah. me, when I was a kid and, and it was just out there, but I still love it. Anytime I hear Thomas Dolby, she blinded me with science. And that, that guy in the background just goes, science! <laughs> <laughs> Who thought to do that? But it, it has this um, goofiness that immediately you laugh at it. Kind of like a Weird Al Yankovic song where it's, it's, it's funny on purpose, I, I hope. I hope they created it that way because that's how I feel. Like this, this joyful, yes, that's what that song's supposed to do, unapologetically. I'm going to have to uh, YouTube, She Blinded Me With Science. I, I, I forgot all about that. <laughs> what a great <laughs> song. And, you know, some of the talking heads, especially their later songs, like uh, Little Babies, I think was the title of it. And there's a couple of them like that. And she was, I think Talking Heads could possibly be there 100 years from now. Talking heads are incredibly interesting. And that was another topic that we can save for another day. It's interesting music and talking heads would be certainly high on that list. Absolutely. Okay. Well, hey, we didn't solve any of the world's problems, but then again, that's not our job. But we did talk some music here today. And, you know, you may or may not agree with things that were said, especially by me. I think some excellent points were made by both you, Brian, and you, Gabby. So thank you very much for bringing everything you had, bringing your A-game to this discussion. Appreciate it. We'll have to do this again. And like you said, Brian, there are so many other things we could talk about. And I like the interesting music, interesting songs idea. We're going to write that one. I'm going to write that one down right now, as a matter of fact. I'm going to start my research. Nothing brings us together, I think, more in, in a universal way than music, because even though we have different opinions, like, yeah, I know that song. Oh, boy, that, that's a funny one. So talking it through with good people like you is a, is a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure's all ours, believe me. And by the way, you guys, if you have anything that you'd like to add to this, of course, uh, the best way to do that would be to make a comment on one of the, one of the places where you pick up this uh, podcast. You can do it on Facebook or Instagram. Or what are some of the other ones, Gabby? I, I, I don't know. I'm so out of touch with this stuff. We're on Twitter. I mean, you can you can write us a letter if you want. <laughs> write a letter? <laughs> yeah. Like with a stamp and everything? Yeah. We'll figure <laughs> out some place I can send it. You are so old school. <laughs> <laughs> well, North we'll Pole. Box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Again, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian Lopez, for participating in this. We appreciate it very much. Well, my pleasure. Good to talk to you both. I have to say that was such an enjoyable conversation. I really loved being witness to two people who really have a lot of passionate opinions and can really just have a great conversation about something as universal as music. Well, I would say that there were three of us having a, a very good, passionate conversation about music in there. Don't forget you. You really contributed to that one 
a lot. And you gave the, uh, you know, a, an aspect of it that I don't think either one of us uh, had thought about. So, um, I mean, that really added to the conversation. So thank you for that. And yeah, I, I, you know, I love talking to Brian about music because he is very passionate about it, worked in the industry sort of for uh, a, a lot, most of his adult life so far, doesn't do it anymore, as I mentioned, but uh, that's why I thought it would be great to talk to him about it because all of that stuff has been, been like building up in him now for the last year and a half since he's been out of the business. So you have to have an escape valve for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't let that uh, build up too much. So, cause you'll explode eventually you'll explode. So yeah, Brian is a, is a great, is a great guy. And uh, boy, when you talk, to, when you talk to Brian about music, you know, you're going to get at least a good hour's worth of podcast, if not more. There we go. I enjoyed that too. Thank you very much, Brian. And thank you, Gab. Yeah, absolutely. I think the next time we do one of these shows though, I'm going to have to assign you and whoever we bring on to talk with us some homework. And you guys are going to have to give me some reviews on, on the current music situation based on oh, that homework. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I'll look forward to that. All For right. all of you who can't see, he just shook his head. No. So. <laughs> I am so out of touch. I really am so completely out of touch. You know, talk to me about what I'm streaming on TV these days. And I could, you know, talk for hours, but uh, maybe we could do something about that. I mean, everybody watches, you know, shows. So, but anyway, that's for another day. Have a great week and we'll catch you next week with another episode of the Encore podcast. Bye everybody. Bye.